This show is for the sales leader who knows they have a pivotal role in driving outstanding sales results. Getting hired or promoted to manage a sales team is a big accomplishment, but you know you have to work hard to become a great sales leader. You are listening to the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. Here's your host, coach and advisor to elite sales leaders from around the world, Matt McDarby. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. I'm Matt McDarby, veteran seller, leader, coach and advisor to elite sales leaders all over the world. I'm really excited to have you join and listen to today's episode. This is one of our interview episodes, and I'd like to introduce you to my very special guest right now. So when I first met our next guest, he was running a multi-billion dollar, with a B, sales region for IBM Software Group. It was during IBM's Think Client Value Initiative, which may come up a little bit later in our conversation when we met. He then went on to lead America's enterprise sales at Salesforce, led CRM sales at SAP, then became CRO, Chief Revenue Officer at hc1.com. After that, President Worldwide Field Operations at Jive, then President Cornerstone On Demand. He's been busy. And now he is the Chief Revenue Officer at Rent, a leading platform for renting and sharing spaces. Please welcome Jeff Lautenbach to the show. Jeff. Welcome. Matt, great to be back with you again. It's uh, always good to spend some time with you, my friend. And uh, yeah, done a lot together and spent spend a, a long period of time. So great to be with you. Sure has. I had to take a couple of breaths in there because I was kind of walking through your career path. You've done so much. And for those who, who don't know, like, so the persistence that's required to get a Jeff Loughton back on the show is similar to the persistence that is required to get Jeff to be a subject in your books. So just make note of that. If you're gonna write a book <laughs> and include Jeff or get him on your show, it, it's, you know, it takes some work. This is a busy man. You should, you should, so, tell, you should tell Neil though to append spin selling and add an addendum to that with that, with that analog. In there. I'll, I'll propose, I'll propose that. We'll see what happens. So, all right, well, let's just dive right in here, Jeff, because I'm dying to hear, like I've said to a couple of other guests who have, not, not exactly the same path, but who've been in senior sales leadership roles for a while, that we're, what we're going to try to do is encapsulate like a few decades of wisdom about leading sales organizations into about a 25-minute conversation. Shouldn't be, shouldn't be a problem. Should be easy. My first question for you is, what is like the, the most important lesson that you've learned about leading a sales organization so far? Yeah. Lots, like you said, lots of history. So the one, I guess the, the one that, that, that hits me between the eyeballs that I've learned is one size doesn't fit all, man. What do I mean by that mm. is I've now seen companies at different stages, at different sizes, different value propositions. And it matters because yes, playbooks are important and they're valuable. And I like to think that, you know, I've got, you know, I, I like to work off of a playbook, but the playbook's got a lot of adaptations to it. So you really have to adapt your playbook to the type of company and sales team that, that you're working with or leading for it to be most effective. And what I did at Jive and what I did at IBM and what I did at SAP and what I'm now doing with Rent, there's adaptations to every single one of them. I think the other thing is, is the ability to pivot and open your mind to their business model. I would almost liken it to you know a football team. I, I read somewhere where you know the Kansas City Chiefs, who were reigning Super Bowl champions, they got... Patrick Mahomes, they got Andy Reid. Well, I read that Andy Reid 
brought somebody in because Patrick Mahomes would be really great to read pass option. Anybody didn't know that, right? And here's one of the most probably thoughtful, deepest guys that's ever coached in the NFL ever. And probably the, you know, at the time, they're the best offensive coach in football. It's the same thing for sales. You know, I say, you know, yeah, I'm here at Rent and, you know, we, we have a fully different model than we did in all these other companies. And it's been that way almost for every single one of them. Let me give you an idea. Customer profile, an ideal target customer, are really important to define in the front end. And those, those changes are different. You know, deploying new roles, augmenting, you know, specialty sellers. Remember back in IBM? Remember how many different types of overlays I had? Some companies you don't want to have any. Yeah. It's, just, it's just a pure general small. And then, you know, you have like tech sales teams that are so critical to the value proposition in, in places like Cornerstone. Not at all at Grant, you know, so it's a different model, a different selling perspective. And that gets into sell stage what's most important. You know, churn dynamics, right? How much is the company churning? How far are you, how fast are you growing? Those are those are definite dynamics that you want to take into consideration as you're as you're adapting and trying to build out a strategy, a coverage model. And, and basically a go-to-market. So you must have a process, right? Like, like when you join a new organization, there's a process that you go through to try to understand, like, how do I need to adapt the playbook or maybe I have to throw the playbook away and write a whole new one, right? What are the first things that you do to sort of go down the path of figuring out which playbook or what adaptations are required? Yeah, I think, look, I think of it, I think of it from a business perspective, first and foremost, I think the first thing you want to do is understand how the company makes money and how they grow, right? I think those two things are paramount. What does that look like? Then I think you start to get into, you need down, get further down into that. You understand the customer dynamics. How many customers do they have? As I mentioned before, where the churn rates kind of going up. Where, where is the growth coming from? You start talking to customers. What do you really like about what we do? What's the value proposition? You know, cornerstone value proposition is expertise. You're the experts in the area of the market. It wasn't so much product. At Salesforce, it was the best product in the world. You were selling product. You need to product out for So it goes, those are the types of things that I'm trying to work both through customers, talking to the team. How's the team set up today? How does that look moving forward? Is there room for growth? Are you somewhat saturated in terms of growth moving forward? How's your productivity look? We start looking at cap ratios. We start looking at long-term value of customers, right? So you want to understand uh, how, mm-hmm. how productive your sales organization is, whether you have room to expand that. It's law of diminishing returns, you know, as you know, right? Can I employ 10 new people? And will that 10th person be able to drive an X amount of productivity depending on what growth you really want to get to? So that's that's kind of how I look at it. And then you start to say, hey, you know, things like methodology, how you sell, where you want to focus in, those all become part of it to focus in from a self stage perspective. And I'll give you another example. Rent, the most important sell cycle is discovery. And it is in a lot of companies. But if you you got to be able to determine actually, you know, in the dialogue and convince customers that, that, that again, you understand their problem and you are the one that can help them get what they're looking for from an outcome perspective. So that's how I go about it. Was, that's the approach that I take generally. Yeah. Well, all right. So let's, I'm a 30 something first time sales leader for a middle market company. I just heard Jeff Lautenbach explain how he analyzes. <laughs> he's figuring out all of these different things that he's got to get his brain wrapped around. How do we make money? Let's learn about the customers. Let's understand what problems and opportunities they're trying to achieve. Let's like there's a whole range of things. And for you, since you've done it so many times, you're like bang, 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 bang. These are the things I've got to dive into. I would love Jeff if you think about like, okay, Jeff, but this is my first time. The first time you did this, what was the what was the thing that you needed to that you thought you needed to learn about first or that you really needed to understand first 
and and that put you in position to kind of dive into churn and other things that you've said are important. Yeah, I could fight, fight you back. For probably one that I was remiss in not saying is, and I think this is for any level of sales leadership, is assessing your team. What type of team do you have? People's a big aspect of it as well. And that's certainly a foundation for how I look at how you're going to run the business. So I, if, I, if I could go back and say, hey, for the people who are looking out from any type of sales leadership perspective, that one always applies. You know, I'm going up to maybe 303 and 404 levels of how I'm thinking about the business, but that one's key and that one's foundational for everybody. And kind of goes back to, to what we talked about, right? How do you coach versus how do you performance manage? Those are two vastly different things. But first, first thing you have to do is understand what you have, right? What's the chemical makeup of the team, the skills that you have, and where are you trying to get to? You know, one of the questions I, what I infer from what you're saying is as an, as a leader for the first time in a new organization, whether I've done this before or not, one of the things I've got to get my brain wrapped around sooner rather than later is what is the task of developing this team going to look like, right? So it's not only the makeup and the people, but what, what is that going to look like for me? Because that's a massive time investment, right? That's an excellent inference. That's exactly right. That's why I was saying you have to set that up because you got to know you know, what you're trying to coach to. And then you also have to know, hey, what, do I have the right people on the bus? Or do I need to go out and you know, maybe put, a, put another level of energy into recruiting? Um, you're always going to want to be recruiting in this business. But the question is, how much are you recruiting in terms of the team that you already have? You think you, know, you might want to change. And how many, how much, I don't, I'm a very open mind. I'm an optimist when it comes to people. So to your point, the development always comes into play there to yeah. say, you know, how are you going to develop folks from, you know, one level to the next and not even maybe looking at that way, what the specific skills you want to develop, right? Every one of them might be a bit different in terms of where they need some degree of development. Yeah. And now I, I, well, people listening can't see the video, but when you said I'm an optimist about, right, I like, yeah, that's, I, the best leaders that I know, their orientation to development or the developing others is, I'm going to look at this from a really sort of a, a positive and optimistic opportunistic kind of perspective. I'm not going to like look at the, the fact that I've got to develop people with dread. This is like one of the more energizing parts of the job, right? It's one of, it's one of the best parts, right? And we do it well. Totally. So which kind of leads me to next question. You've, you've been doing this job or versions of sales leadership roles, senior executive level sales leadership roles for a number of years, and you have as much energy for the topic as you did when I first met you, however many years ago it was, right? 15, 16 years ago. So you, I presume you love this. What do you love most? I do love it, first of all. Um, I think that's well stated. I, I have a genuine uh, enthusiasm. I love doing what I do. You know, it, it, it actually is, I was answering the question before, I really do love to see people succeed and grow. I've kind of come to the point where I get more out of that than you know, anything that any kind of personal recognition that I receive, right? My personal recognition is through watching people achieve and achieve beyond their expectations. And businesses achieve mm -hmm. beyond their expectations, but it's always about the people, you know, the business achieving and people are achieving specifically in sales. You're the revenue generation part of the company. I think so that is absolutely important. I love also love teaching and coaching too. It's something that's inherent in me, and I, I love doing it. And uh, you know, I get I get a lot out of it. I think you know, the people that I work with on that, I think they get a lot out of it too. Yeah. Well, I witnessed that. I think those who've read your story, your chapters in my first book, and I think about all the other people that were involved in that think client 
value initiative back in the day would have experienced something similar to what I did. One of the big reasons for why I launched the practice that I did and focused so much on sales leadership development is based on what I experienced in your region at IBM many years ago. That, you know, the investment, you had a really clear vision for certainly the behavior of field sellers and, and how we were going to, you know, create value for clients. But we're really crystal clear about the role that frontline and second-line leaders That's played right. in that That's process. Right. And we did a lot more back in those days attached to that initiative to, to develop sales leaders' capability in those areas because of your vision. So I'll be careful how I say this because I don't want to owe you a royalty or something for the last 15 years of work, but I, I, definitely, <laughs> owe, <laughs> I definitely owe the path that I chose because I left Hothwaite specifically to focus on sales leadership yep. development because I saw the value firsthand. It's like, hey, if we just yep. do that it puts us in position to develop all those people in field sales roles. So uh, your passion translated uh, even to, you know, people like me who basically were selling you, selling things to you at the time. But so I saw it firsthand. This is the pivotal role in an organization, sales leadership, that is, whether it's frontline all the way up to the top of the organization. I would argue it's also the most challenging where strategy meets execution, Right, you're, you're kind of sandwiched between the internal demands of the organization and the business and clients and you know people to develop. So there are challenges. And I think it's really important for people who are new to the job to hear from you, like, what, do you, what have you found to be the most challenging part of leading people? And, and maybe tell us a little bit about what you've done about it. Yeah, I, I'll, 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 give you a, I'll give you a couple that I think are really important um, through the years. One is clarity. Clarity is really, really difficult. You know, at times I feel like you know, we've, we've really articulated a very clear strategy and often we'll go back and hear well after the fact that uh, I don't know what the strategy is. Now, when I first got that, I cannot believe, I can't believe they, they don't understand what the strategy is. And then, you know, it dawned on me as we started to get into some of the engagement information, engagement surveys, and my dialogue with different people, that I don't understand what the strategy could mean five different things. That could mean... I'm not born with a strategy. I don't know what that means for me personally. You've got to remember something. When people say, I don't understand something with a strategy, it's always about, about the person, right? And, and that's fair. That's just, how, that's just how human beings are wired at the end of the day. It could mean, uh, I think it could be that done better a different way. It could mean, you know, I don't see how I'm going to be successful. I think it's going to impact me. Or it could mean, I just don't want to change. You know, I just, I'm just not with the change. And so across that, you kind of got to get to, okay, that's where the first line managers are the ones that really have to help and be on board. So I kind of said to myself, how are the first line managers talking to the people? Because at the end of the day, 90% of the communications are coming to those one-on-ones. And are they able to distill this down? First of all, are they able to distill it? Number two, are they even on board in the first place, right? Do you have that hearts and minds? And are they all on board? So they can they can actually come back and talk to the individual contributors, salespeople, about why it's both important to them, why they think they could be successful in this model, and if you know you're not on board, this isn't for you anymore. Then totally understand. You know there might be there might be something else you want to do potentially. Sure, that's after all those other things. So that one we're kind of hitting between the eyeballs because it's very difficult, and the interpretations are are, are so so vast. But I do think that that's the key is, is those dialogues. Yeah. It doesn't matter at some point what I'm saying. It matters 
but the people who are talking to their direct managers, what those conversations, how those conversations are going and how they're addressing the specific issues, challenges, concerns, et cetera, that the sellers have. I would say the second one kind of is, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, maybe leads off of that is change management, right? We change so much now in this business and you should. And that's kind of what we started with at the outset of this cause. I was talking a lot about changes that you would make, you know, even when you walk in the door, but changes frequent as businesses change, right? Everybody's moving so quick and fast these days, pivoting and you know, the tools and processes that you have to allow you to do that. But guess what? Folks need to come along with the change and you have to consider what, what that's going to mean for them and how you bring them aboard and maybe ensure that you're, as you're trying to go fast, that you recognize that the, the pace is really about how quickly they're going to be able to adopt and, and execute on the back end. And sometimes they need time to process and sometimes they need time to absorb. And sometimes you need that, you know, second or first line management to individual contributor all to kick in. And you want to always accelerate that, but you have to be mindful of it if you're really going to get optimization off the change that you're looking to drive. And you have to factor it in. You know, if your change is going to create marginal benefit, you might want to consider whether the change is worth it at the end of the day, too. Which almost requires, like, you have to talk through the change. How would I communicate right. it? How would I help people understand the new expectations? And if it doesn't make sense to me, <laughs> right, or the executive team, like, we need to go back to the drawing board. At the, at the end of the day, a lot of the times it comes down to the simplest things, simple process, simple change, have the biggest impacts at the end of the day because they're easier to absorb. The value and benefits are very, very clear. Sometimes you take a step back and I remember one, one term I, I'm using a lot is, hey, don't let perfection get in the way of really good. Yeah. Driving great sales results is hard. Doing it consistently is even harder. There are so many obstacles that can prevent you from becoming the most effective sales leader you can be. Find practical advice you can apply right away by picking up your copy of Matt's book, The Divine Comedy of Sales, at www.divinecomedyofsales.com. When you're a change agent, I mean, you know, and I'm, I've, I've been selling change for 20 years in different forms, right? and the it's really hard to sell people on change when the change looks too big and instead you have to help them understand there's a path that's small digestible it's incremental small change big impact was sort of our mantra that back even back at the, in the huffway days but it's like that's what we're going for here but what i think of what i what i'm gathering from something you've said is let's figure out what those small changes are with big impact but i need my people to understand those and make i need to make sure there needs to be dialogue and communication so we know for sure that they understand not only what is the small change, but what's the expected payoff and how, what's the path? How are we going to get there? And this is how you need to go about it and how you'll be supported. And what else? So you said a couple of things here, just a quick summary. So you said clarity, big challenge, and you described some of the ways to achieve it, which you know essentially falls on. It can't be just me as the head of sales or chief revenue officer commanding from on high. It's got to be this dialogue going on in the field between frontline managers and salespeople to make sure people are crystal clear about what's expected and how things are potentially changing. And then second, you mentioned change management, a related thought. Any other challenges that you would call out here that- uh, You know what, I'll bring one, bring one of your high favorite back into play, which I still use to this day, which is how do you create great coaching? Mm-hmm. And you know, the things that I've learned over the years is great coaches ask great questions. 
Uh-huh. And they're very careful not to prescribe, specifically if you're talking about something to do with a salesperson's um, in-process job and opportunity. So in other words, if you're coaching on a deal, hey, I know exactly what to do. You need to go to A, B, and C. And, and you know what? That might be the right answer. Sometimes saying, have you considered asking this question or have you considered what they might be thinking from this perspective. Uh-huh. And that might be something that a person would learn better from. And it takes a little bit more time, doesn't it, Matt? And you don't get the immediate uh, outcome that you're looking for. But it's so important, so valuable. I know that I learn better when I do it, not when someone tells me to do it, because you don't get the rich learning, as we all know, right? From the experience of figuring it out myself. And like I said, great leaders, when they coach, they have a they have the ability to do that hold back from providing prescriptive answers and and asking great questions to make you think differently about the problem you're trying. And that to solve. requires you said time. I think it also requires patience and great listening skill. It's the patience one that I find sales managers a bias for action in sales jobs is something that we're encouraged to have. Like we and we develop that, and we're you know we're trying to move fast and get customers to move fast, and it seems counter to what we're talking about here, which is you have to be patient. As a coach, when you're trying to lead a team that's you know, tr- trying to make things happen as fast as possible, get good outcomes quickly. But my experience has been, I think this kind of lines up with what you were saying, it's sometimes we, we just have to, this is definitely something we said at Huthway back in the day, we have to slow it down to speed to the outcome. We, gotta, we really have to be patient about the process as coaches. Otherwise, we're, not, we're, really, not, we're really not helping our people see things differently. Which is where all the value lies. I, I, I got a bonus one for you yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking about one of my experiences in Cornerstone. You know, we were pivoting to something that was a, a pretty, a pretty massive change from a process perspective in the sell cycle, and really had to do with how much we were researching the customers and preparing for opportunities in the process of doing that, and then also really kind of teaching our sellers how to how to whiteboard concepts that weren't product oriented, that were more related to that customer, starting with their, with, with the, from their vantage point about what their world looked like and what problem that they might be dealing with. And then kind of coming back to how we might impact that you know, later, maybe not even in that call. Setting that all up, you know, we did a lot of work to change behaviors on that front. We were, we were, we were pretty prescriptive about what you needed to do. Um, we used a consultant to help us out. We had everybody on board with it. Managers were coaching it. I mean, we did it. We did it very thoroughly. Question becomes is, as you're talking about specifically what need, what are those steps that need to happen as part of the process? How much do you allow for kind of the natural ability of both the seller and the manager to coach for it versus prescribing? Because sometimes we can get, you know, pretty rope with the process to say, no, it just needs, needs to be nat. We got the foundation set. Now it needs to be naturally rolled out in front of the customer because every Every opportunity is a little bit different, right? And, and you want to have that, that dialogue be a very natural dialogue with that customer as well. And you know, if you got something, oh, shoot, I forgot. It's like I'm on step four and I went from step two to step four. You, know, you want to start thinking about that up front. But at some point in time, it's like, that's not what this is all about, right? Sometimes maybe you need to go from step two to step four, for example. So that, that's another one that, you know, I, it really kind of, it was really interesting to see how we played that out. We figured it out. Probably in the middle of that to say, we need, to, we need to kind of let off the reins a little bit on the process right now. Right. What you're describing is so common. And I think it's, that's actually the thing that sustains 
the sales performance industry, whatever form that takes today. It's changed a lot from you know the traditional sales training companies like Huthway back in the day. But um, there's a reason there are people out there who focus on just you know kind of installing, establishing, and creating discipline around a sales process because it's really easy for organizations to sort of not lose lose their way sometimes, but just sort of as priorities shift. It's really hard to keep people focused on just the fundamentals and doing those well and practicing them because so much of this is soft skill and it's not a matter of, it's not like installing a new manufacturing process, right? It's, you know, here are the new 11 steps for assembling our little, you know, our widget. It's, you know, so unpredictable when we're engaged with clients. So great, a great bonus challenge there. Um, and I think for those listening, somebody who's gone through this many times, right? Several iterations of this. I think that's a really, a really helpful thing to point out. So Jeff, we're, we're almost at time here. And like I said, at the top, we're trying to capture decades of learning here in, in, uh, in a matter of just a few minutes. I'm going to ask a big, open, vague, purposely so question to see what else we can grab from your brain here. What else? What else do we need to know about leading a sales organization? What else have you learned that you think would be really helpful for, their, for our audience to, uh, to hear from you? You know, for me, I think it embodies some of the, some of the points I've already made, but I, I have to, I have to, I'm one person who always has to say to myself, go slow, but go fast. You know, you start, you start really think about something that's going to add a lot of value and it can, and it will, but you really have to be thoughtful about the details and kind of really work it through and, and, and get a lot of input from a lot of different people um, and, and slow yourself down to really consider, you know, what challenges might arise, what opportunities you have in play, and what you're going to need to execute on the back end to make it happen. You know, things like the comms and the clarity and the wise behind it, all those types of things as you're rolling it out because it will hit you. And, and for me, it's like, man, this is exactly the right thing to do. But let's think about the rollout, the execution, the inhibitors. And that's not to say that we don't want to move fast, we do, but to go slow to go fast, I think it's really, really important to really kind of get your brain into thinking about a lot of you know a lot of the different pieces that need to be rolled out that may or may not come you know come back to the actual decision, but just need to be considered as you're thinking about the timing and how long it's going to take and what you're asking of people on the back end and when you expect to get the outcomes as a result of that too. Yeah, yeah, I think that's one of the it's both one of those hardest lessons, but it's also a moment of like epiphany for people that lead sales teams. And I will tell you, I've seen some people that never figure it out, right? They just think every initiative they can just kind of push through through force of, of their will, because we are kind of an ego-driven discipline. We've got people, I've done this myself, so I'm not talking about others, but it's like, I know that we can just make this happen fast if I can just be clear and just motivate people, right? But so much of the motivation and the clarity and the making sure people understand what's expected and making sure they're actually doing things effectively is dependent on like, let's just, we got to slow it down. Communication, I, as I was thinking about the things, you know, the, the, the lessons learned, clarity, managing change, you know, helping people understand what's required of them uh, and some of the other things, they all, in the end, they sort of boil down to having a really good plan to communicate kind of practicing that, working it through. And, and that can take a long time. Yeah. I'll throw one more in there that goes slow to go fast examples or, or yeah, the, the reason why it's important. Also because, you know, when you're getting more, when you're getting perspective and input, right. And you have an idea and a thought and someone might, you know, help you kind of slightly change it for whatever set of reasons. 
they're now completely on board because they're part of the process. Mm -hmm. And when you bring people into the process and you get advocates and they're champions of it because they've had input, they have clarity now and they feel ownership towards it. Then, you know, you're bringing it down, like we talked about, to those levels where, hey, guess what? At the end of the day, a lot of change management's happening between a first-line manager and a seller. The closer you can get to that, including them, you know, yeah. will give you that will give you that much faster uptake and probably provide you better, much better probability, right? Yeah. You know, lots better probability it being successful at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, somebody who's, who has not, this is one of those lessons that I think people more an experiential thing, like until they live through it, because they hear you saying it, they hear me saying it, they hear other people saying it. They're like, yeah, 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 I know it's, you know, sure, right, slow down. But until you've done it once and experienced like the impact and how effective it can be and how much faster you can get the result that you want, if you just bring people along and stop to think to do that, right, then that's one of, it's a tough, that's why it's such a tough lesson. I think people kind of and for me, as a coach and advisor to sales leadership teams, it's one of those things that I'm never shocked, but I am surprised when I see people have been doing the job for a long time. And they're just trying to, they're just, it's like they're hammering people to make a change. And, and I ask them, well, what'd you do to, 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 what was the communication strategy here? Like, what'd you, how'd you get these people on board? And they're like, you know, stunned silence. So, yeah. So, no, I think that's a, that's a great one. And for those listening, I'll summarize here in a few minutes some of the, some of the brilliance and some of the things we're hearing from Jeff today, but that's one where I'm like, yeah, if you if you learn anything from this conversation, go slow to go fast, right? Really be thoughtful and deliberate. Think critically. That's the path that you should take if you want to get to an important outcome as quickly as it can be achieved, right? A hundred percent. Jeff, I can't believe it's already time. I know you're very busy. I've got to let you get back to your day. And this was fantastic. I knew it would be. I'm, I'm so appreciative and glad you could join me. Thanks so much for being on the show. I'll give you uh, a moment to just close us out. Well, Matt, first of all, thank you. It's great to spend some time with you. You know, you've been, you, you, we've known each other for a long time and you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great friendship too. So I appreciate you having me on. I always enjoy talking about these, these topics. Uh, you know, I, I, Hope that they're helpful to folks out there. And uh, yeah, it's just coming, like like I mentioned, and you mentioned kind of the, the roles that I've been in. It, it really goes to, you know, those pieces that I talked about were just things that kind of hit me between the eyeballs and things that I wasn't successful in doing the first time around. Mm. And like you said, I learned through, mostly through not doing it the right way versus doing it the right way. Sounds familiar. <laughs> Same way I've learned. Yeah. Jeff, awesome. Thanks so much for the time. I'm going to now summarize a few key points from our conversation today. I know people are going to be knocked out by uh, the ideas you've shared here. So uh, thank you so much for joining. And I'm going to take it to the audience and, uh, and offer a few summary points. Thanks again. Thanks, Matt. Jeff, not surprisingly, was a fantastic guest. I wish we had 25 hours to pick his brain, not just 25 minutes. So my challenge, I have the unenviable task of trying to pick out only a few key ideas. So maybe I'll just talk about the things that resonated with me most. You may have picked up some other things. And of course, I'm encouraging you by going through this summary to think about how does this apply to me, right? How does it apply to me right now? How will it apply to me in future sales leadership roles? So Jeff said a number of things that are of extremely high value. 
one of the biggest lessons he'd learned about leading a sales organization. He said, one size doesn't fit all. You can't approach every role with the same playbook. You have to adapt. You have to understand things, the specifics about the business and how it makes money. Learn about your customers and adapt your playbook accordingly. I think he also means you have to adapt according to the capability of your sales organization. When talking about some of the common challenges he's had to address are the most difficult ones, he boiled it down to a few. First, he said, achieving clarity, having a clear strategy, uh, helping people to understand clearly, right? What, what are we trying to achieve? What are we doing to get there? He talked as well about change management. And a point that he made is really critical here. He said, I don't understand might mean any number of things. That when somebody says to you, I don't understand what you mean, or I don't understand what you expect, that that's an opportunity for clarity. And in times of change, if you find yourself having to pivot the business or the sales organization, really understanding how well people uh, understand why we're changing and what needs to change uh, are critical things. He said also, Jeff said that great coaches ask great questions. Yes, sir. I've heard that. I've witnessed Jeff do it. I've witnessed people in his organization do it. And it's obviously a, a critical point, a skill that leaders need to develop if they have any chance of coaching and developing their teams. They must be masters of questions. They also have to be masters of listening to the answers they receive, right? Which is where kind of the great questions will take us. And then finally, he said, you have to approach things from the client's perspective. We've heard that a number of times over the last many interviews that I've conducted this year. You gotta look at the business and you gotta look at the role of salespeople through the lens of the customer. Based on my observations of Jeff going back many years and over our conversations ever since, I know that he really means that, right? He eats, sleeps, and breathes the client's perspective. These aren't just words. These, that's basically his perspective on how to do the work of a leader. You really have to understand what you do through the client's eyes. Like I said, I could go on for quite some time talking about the things that I've learned from Jeff and the lessons that he has helped me to teach others over the years, but I'll stop there and challenge you. If you think about someone like Jeff, the career that he's had, the roles that he's fulfilled, the success he's achieved, and yet he brings not only wisdom into a conversation like this, but also a fair amount of humility. He didn't really talk very much about himself or how great he is, but I can tell you for sure, he is a great leader. And there are hundreds of people, hundreds of others that will attest to that based on all the people that he's touched. But pay close attention to the way that he carries himself and the humility, not pridefulness, that he addressed our conversation. I think that's also instructive. So today's conversation marks the end of our interview season and the end, really, of season one of the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. I'm going to pick up our next round of episodes with some solo shows reflecting on lessons we've learned from guests on the show and also talking a little bit about something I'm calling the sales leaders operating system. I hope you'll tune in over the next several episodes to learn more about that. In the meantime, this is Matt McDarby, host and author of the Divine Comedy of Sales. Thank you so much for listening today and for all of our episodes this season. Bye-bye for now.